Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I hope you're enjoying your spring, late spring. I'm very excited for summer. It's my time of the year. That's my favorite season. And that's when I was born. So I'm excited to resume summer activities. And I mean, in LA, it's always summer. Anyhow, whenever we hear about summer and kind of act summer activities, people, some of my clients, they get very nervous because there is this pressure of having a quote unquote certain kind of body for summer. So you have to make your beach body or, you know, if you don't have the body, then you have to crash diet it. And as you guys know, I'm part of my practice working with people with disorder eating and eating disorder and not even only that that is a population that they're struggling with food and their body. But many of my clients that they're not identifying with having issues with food, they continuously have issues around their self-image. That's why that I think it's important to address what's going on underneath. Because if you don't like your body, I'm sure you've already been in million and one diet. And if they didn't work out, I think it's important to change your strategy. Starting May 26, uh, which is, I think, two Sundays from now, in my practice, we're having this group, which is called Reshaping Body Image Group. It's going to be eight sessions. We're going to help our participant to work through their struggles with their ne- negative body image. We're going to teach you strategies to feel better about your body and acquire that negative self-talk part of you. Because I can guarantee you, unless you change the internal dialogue, the challenge will be there, whether you lose 10 pounds or not, whether you're doing this crazy exercise or not. And the fee for each session is like very affordable. It's $40 per session. And it's on Sundays for eight session from 1 to 2.30. So give us a call at 310-600-9912 if you're interested. As far as our topic today, I am very excited about this topic. We're going to talk about what is heteroflexibility, the difference between bisexuality and heteroflexibility, and also what to do if you are kind of curious about exploring your sexual orientation and you find yourself attracted to the partner of the same sex and you, you don't know what to do. So our guest today is Ray McDaniel. Ray is a gender and certified sex therapist who works with folks feeling anxious and lost about the transition they're experiencing in sex, gender, sexual identity, or relationships. Ray also provides consultation and training for professionals and organizations wishing to uplevel their knowledge and expertise in these areas. Ray is the founder of Practical Audacity a therapy and healing collective in Chicago, Illinois. Ray holds a Master of Education in Community Counseling from DePaul University in Chicago and a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois. Ray graduated from the University of Michigan Sexual Health Certificate Program and Specialization in Sex Therapy and Sexual Education and is a certified sex therapist through ASACT. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ray McDaniel. 
Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Ray McDaniel, which is a sex therapist and gender therapist on our show. Ray, welcome to our show. Hi, I'm glad to be here. I am so excited to have you on this show. This is the area that's not necessarily within my scope of practice, obviously. As a sex therapist, I read about it. I try to do some research, but please mm. correct me if I say something <laughs> that appear yeah. not correct or not inclusive. Well, we're always learning all the time and language is changing so much. So happy to, to do any upgrades that we need to. Excellent. Excellent. So as I was sharing with our listeners that I know you have this fantastic video series that I was like, oh my God. And as a sex (laughs) therapist, I was thinking, oh, this is so interesting. And that was one of the ways that I learned about your specialties in this area. So today we're going to talk about heteroflexibility, uh, the difference between kind of if someone is identifying as bisexual, heteroflexible, I'm going to talk about kind of same sex experiences. So Let's start with a question that I'm sure you and me both get a lot, and I know that it was in your videos as well. So one of the common things, one of the common fantasies for many of my clients is that they're they're watching same-sex porn, and I always ask people, what do you find arousing? And that's one of the common ones that I hear. Does it mean that the person who watches the same-sex porn is homosexual or bisexual? Yeah, not at all. So porn is fantasy. It's entertainment. It, it is meant to elicit a certain type of reaction for us. And kind of in the uh, same way as we watch other things that are meant to elicit a reaction, like action films, sci-fi, horror, it, it doesn't mean that we want to be Indiana Jones or actually have a ghost in our house. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we enjoy watching it and we enjoy feeling what those characters are feeling. So porn is very similar, is that it is sexually relevant. And what I mean by that is we as humans are turned on by things that our brain connects to sex, which seems like a really obvious thing, but it can mean things that we don't always think of. For example, if you had really, really great sex on this beautiful blue couch The next time that you see a blue couch, your brain might say, oh yeah, sex. It's not because you're turned on by blue couches. It is connected to something that is sexually relevant for you. That is so fascinating. And I I think it's a great point that you made that having a fantasy doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that you want to act on because sometimes, you know, couples come into me and one of the partner is like devastated and scared and saying that like I discovered my partner watches this kind of porn and necessarily their issue is not with the partner watching the porn, their issue is and they're kind of scared because they feel that's what their partner going to ask them to perform or do and they don't want to do it. Exactly. I think that when we can take a step back and just get really curious about what it is about this type of porn that turns you on, some of it may be a complete fantasy. And the fact that it is something that is unattainable or that you don't want can be part of the eroticism of it. We find things that are taboo erotic, 
but part of it may be that there's some aspect of what you see that you would want to incorporate into your life in whatever way. And so I think we can get a lot more curious about what those things mean. And for example, going back to does it make you bisexual or or gay if you watch a certain type of porn, one of the most common types of porn for lesbians to watch is gay male porn. It doesn't mean that they want to go have sex with a gay male. It just means that there's something about that that is really stimulating and erotic to them. Absolutely. And I love the point that you made about being curious, because as you said, when you are curious, it might open up this world of new experiences for you. It doesn't mean like, for example, many months ago, I had a client that the the person was devastated because they discovered the partner was interested, like looking at porn that was swinging involved. So mm-hmm. it, again, it didn't mean like the partner necessarily wanted to swing, but as you said, possibly could mean that they can elements kind of incorporate some element of novelty and kind of like it can open up this door to a discussion of what what is it about this that you like is there anything that we can incorporate or maybe like if you are curious about things it can open up the door about asking those questions exactly and in the example you just gave i immediately think of things like what if you as a couple went out and You just picked out people that you found attractive together and then went home, just the two of you, and had sex. That's one way of incorporating that idea of the third or the other, as Esther Perel puts it, into your dyadic sex life. Um, Right, right. And you're not necessarily changing anything drastically. You're just introducing in this kind of mental element to to the sexual act that you guys are going to do. Exactly. So one of the popular terms these days are heteroflexible. And sometimes I hear that people are confused about what is the difference between heteroflexibility and bisexuality? That's a great question. I think that a lot of people might define that differently. But how I define it is typically when people say heteroflexible, they mean that in the right circumstances, with the right person, they are open to certain types of sexual encounters with someone who is of a similar gender as themselves. Versus bisexual is usually referring to somebody who is consistently attracted to folks and interested in or having sex with folks of multiple genders. That is interesting. So if someone kind of identifies as heteroflexible, is that the people usually have, I mean, I'm, this is, I'm sure very general, but is this the people usually had some sexual experiences or it can be just like from them kind of having arousal from the fantasies? Yeah, I think it doesn't necessarily mean that someone has had sexual experiences with someone of a similar gender, but it it could mean that they fantasize about it or that they like, for example, just making out with people who are of a similar gender and aren't really interested in going further than that. It's just any sort of attraction and or acting on an attraction that is outside of that typical heterosexual, very rigid box. 
Exactly. And I'm, I was thinking about the, some of the research that I read that it seems like, at least based on those research, women have more flexibility around their fantasies and what they found. But I guess like cisgender women, that those were the women that they studied and those particular research that I read, they have more flexibility around what they find arousing. And it seems like that wasn't the case for cisgender male who were identifying as heterosexual. Have you heard about that? I have. And that is what the research suggests. I think we have to be careful with correlation and causation when we're talking about this topic in particular, because we can't really separate fantasies. We can't really separate how folks are responding to certain sexual stimuli outside of our particular culture that we're living in now. So our culture, at least in the U.S., says that people who are cisgender women, it's totally okay if you want to, you know, be gay during college, using quotations. If you want to experiment with women, if you, you know, have that quote-unquote phase in your life that is acceptable in our culture and even considered really hot or sexy, erotic in some way. On the reverse side, a cisgender man has very, very little flexibility in our culture to explore anything outside of a very small box of heterosexuality. If they even find themselves minimally attracted to somebody who is of a similar gender, then they're automatically categorized as gay. There's no in-between. There is this myth that there are no bisexual men, whereas cisgender women are completely allowed to be bisexual. And so I think that we have to be careful when we're talking about this to also note that a lot of this might be culturally dependent and not necessarily what someone would respond to or how someone would think about attraction in a different culture or in a different time. Well, I think that's certainly a very important point because you're right, there's no way that culture does not have any impact in our sexuality. Our erotic blueprint is not getting developed out of vacuum. It's right. constantly based on the feedback we get from the media, from the culture, from our surrounding, and also obviously our internal making. And you're right, is the, the point of not necessarily in a Western culture, lack of flexibility around males' kind of sexuality and what's okay as far as interaction. As my listeners, they know, I grew up in Iran, in Middle East. And in Middle East, there is more flexibility around what is okay. So I, I know that like in, in the street, you could see like adult male holding hand and right. people didn't necessarily think, oh my God, they are kind of closet gay or they are gay. They're just like, they were showing their affection. And I grew up in the South. So in Louisiana, Texas area, and I never once in my entire growing up saw two male bodied folks holding hands, period, even if they were gay. It's just something that is not acceptable in that area. And there's a lot of consequences and discrimination if that does happen. And so it's so interesting to see those differences in culture. Absolutely. And I think the other part of it is like as far as the punishment, unfortunately, it's it's very inhumane and against human rights about like what's happening in Iran and the kind of what they do as far as when discovered, they discovered the government that people are uh, identifying as gay. But 
there's certainly more flexibility with kind of women kind of being involved and interacting with each other sexually. But my understanding is that I think the penalty for men is based on like the the rule is death. And for women, it seems like there's just lashing or things like, you know, less like significantly less level of punishment. That's yeah, that is really, really interesting. And especially compared to the US and the Southern US, where at least for the past like few decades, it's been legal to be openly gay. However, the consequences for showing any amount of affection to a similar sex partner is is really bad versus Iran, where it sounds like there is more flexibility around affection, but less flexibility around people who are openly or even are outed as being gay. And so unfortunate. Whenever I think about <laughs> this unjust treatment of people who identify as gay in Iran, it's just like it breaks my heart. But I wanted to pivot to something else. So at times I get clients in my, specifically I had male coming in to my practice, kind of like quote unquote panicking because they, they identify straight, but they find themselves at times attracted to other men, does like when we're attracted to men, does it mean that, or was the same sex partner for or for women, does it mean that we are gay? No, absolutely not. So here's the thing about labels is you get to choose your own. Ideally, that's how labels work best, is that if you feel the most resonant with the label of straight, but find yourself sometimes attracted to folks of a similar gender as yourself, that means very, very little except that you are human and find other humans sexually relevant. So if that label doesn't resonate with you as bisexual or gay or heteroflexible or whatever label you're panicking about besides straight, then don't use it. It's kind of as simple as that. On the other hand, it could mean something and can be worth exploring if you have space for that in your life. And being curious about that attraction without putting pressure on it or having it mean some big life-changing thing necessarily, I think is the key to that. We can stay open and curious about our experience without feeling like we need to change our entire life unless we want to. And I agree with you. I think it's so important to find a label that that you feel it's feeding your your sexuality, or even if you don't want to put a label on it, I think that's such a personal decision. But what I found that sometimes having the label help you to join a group and get support. And I think that's where people find confusion and frustration. For example, I know at least in my clientele, if you are identifying as gay, sometimes you're able to find a stronger support group if you're a sexual minority compared to if you are identifying bisexual because of some of the stigma associated with that label. I think that's absolutely true. You would think in 2019 that there isn't as much stigma against people who identify as bisexual, but there is, unfortunately. And it it can be difficult to find support in the LGBTQ community, even though B is in there, right? Bisexual is in that acronym. It can be difficult if you identify as bisexual versus queer or versus 
as a lesbian or a gay man. And that is still very, very true. There are groups that are specifically geared toward bisexual folks. Bigger cities probably have more resources around that than more rural areas. But yeah, it can be a challenge. And I think it's possibly tied to a point that you kind of made earlier today about there is this kind of stigma of male identifying as anything vice except straight. And I know this, misunder- this, this misunderstanding and misconception is out there that like people think whoever identifies as bisexual male, they're closeted gay. They just right. don't want to come out. And mm-hmm. all women are secretly gay. So yeah. I think that's just like, it, it's very frustrating when people have that mentality. Yes, it's incredibly frustrating. And I think you nailed it. That is exactly kind of how the cultural, cultural paradigm situates folks who are identified male or identified female. So I wanted to know, for example, if some of our listeners, kind of, they find themselves attracted to the same sex and they want to experiment and it's kind of a safe, easier way to do, what do you recommend them to do as a first step? So first of all, I think that experiment can be a pretty loaded word, especially when we're referring to other humans sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I would I would phrase that as just being curious about expanding one's sexual orientation. So I think the first thing is to notice what kind of folks that they're attracted to. And this can be out in the world, you know, just kind of people watching and noticing how you and your body and your emotions respond to certain other people. But you can also do it through movies, through porn, through reading erotica. Whatever you respond to most naturally, you can kind of follow that path a little bit and get curious about it. The easiest way to explore your sexuality beyond just that noticing is to date, which feels like a really obvious thing, but can be really scary when you're first starting to expand your sexual orientation a little bit. But dating apps are really great for this. I think the key is to be honest that you're new to dating folks who are of a similar gender as yourself. Usually this can happen in conversation and the back and forth before your date and that you want to learn more about what you like and get to know some new people. But I think that honesty part is the key. A lot of queer people have been burned by straight people. And I think that's where a lot of the stigma about bisexual folks comes in is that they have felt like they have been, quote unquote, experimented on by people who are exploring their sexual orientation without a lot of regard for the person who is being experimented on's feelings. And so being honest that, hey, like this is new to me, I'm still trying to figure this out, is important to give people the option to opt out of that kind of relationship and just a form of informed consent. I think what a great point you made with experimentation, because again, as someone who identify as cisgender or heterosexual, I didn't necessarily even thought about that part of it because this, this is a label we use and this is a language we use, but you're right. No one wanted to be experimented on right, <laughs> when it comes exactly. to relationship and intimacy and all of those things. And I can imagine that that's uh, the other part of it is if you're not sharing that information with a partner and then this is something that you, you do 
you decided after exploring and after kind of like being on a date with a person that that's not something for you. I think that can be devastating. But I think also it's very vulnerable to share that in a dating app. Would you, so based on like your clients and people that you work with, because it seems like this is something that you work with more, mm-hmm. would people be open to going out on, or going out with folks that they say like, you know, I'm just like, I, I never had this experience and this is where I'm starting. So what I would suggest if I was in somebody's shoes who is wanting to explore a little bit is to not necessarily put that on your profile page because I do think that that is going to immediately turn off a larger number of people. But that is something that you can bring up in conversation as you're getting to know somebody before you meet up with them. And I think that is give somebody an opportunity to kind of get to know you a little bit before you say, and hey, just wanted you to know, like this is really new to me and I'm still exploring and I don't really know what I like or what I want is that a dynamic that's okay with you? I totally understand if it's not. And also I'm wanting to make new friends. So if it's not okay, then that's fine. I would still like to, to meet up with you and get to know you. I think can be a great way to, to play with that a little bit. And you're, not everybody is going to say yes. You know, you're, you are going to have people that are not interested in that type of dynamic. And that's okay. Right. And also with having this added element of consent and letting people know before kind of meeting up and investing the time and energy in this new relationship that can be helpful. Absolutely. I can speak from a personal experience and, you know, I've been on both sides of it, right? I came out as well. And so had to go through that whole process of figuring myself out and dating But also once I was out, I went on a date one time with somebody who was a cisgender woman who, you know, we'd been talking for about a week. We went on a date. I think she was in from out of town. And then I find out a few days later that she was married and didn't tell me that and was just quote unquote experimenting. Mm -hmm. And that was really hurtful to me because I thought that it was more than just an experiment. And I might have still gone on the date if I had known, but I would have felt a lot less icky about it afterwards if she had just told me what was going on. Well, Ray, I'm sorry that you had that experience. And I can imagine that would be a shock, right? Yeah. If, I, if, if the things were flipped or all, and I was thinking uh, like guy, gay guy, and I was single, like I was coming out to experiment and see if he's heterosexual, I would be devastated. I think no right. one wanted to be in that, that place. Exactly, exactly. Or maybe you would be fine with it, but you just need to know that. Right. And then I would go with a different expectation. And as far as like emotional connection that I'm developing and the way I show up emotionally, I mean, again, that would be me, but as from what I'm hearing from you, that there are people out there that they are open to kind of having, being part of introducing some people to the community. Mm -hmm. And it, it's important, I think, to expand your expectations of what you're looking for as well. People are not sex toys. So if you're experimenting, quote unquote, it can feel really objectifying in a bad way to say, oh, I just want to have sex with somebody who is of a similar gender as myself versus 
you know, letting somebody know what's going on and having them potentially say, hey, you know what, I'm not really interested in exploring or helping you explore your sexual orientation in a sexual way, but you can totally come with me to this event and meet more people who identify as queer, who identify as gay. And that can be a really important part of identity development as well, right? Sexual orientation, Mm. especially in minority sexual orientations, is not just about sex. It's about community. It's about identity. It's about a shared history. I love that. And I think that component of community will be very, very important because many people that they are starting to kind of noticing that this is something they're interested and they're curious about it. But some people, they don't know where to go. And again, they can Google things, but it's different than if you're going with someone that they are part of the community and they can introduce you to their friends and people there would be more comfortable and welcoming. Exactly. So I guess some of the people like they, that they, they want to kind of explore like different aspects of their personality. We talk a little bit about do's and don'ts, but what mm-hmm. other do's and don'ts that you usually recommend people when they start this journey? I think I hit on most of the ones that I would suggest, but just kind of to recap, not treating people as objects in a bad way, right? There's some amount of sexual objectification that it's kind of sexy, But also people are not sex toys. They have feelings. And so making sure that you are paying attention to to that part, like someone's feelings, letting someone consent to helping you explore your sexual orientation, being honest about where you're at. And even if you happen to be in a heterosexual relationship or you're married, that's that's okay to tell people. A lot of queer people won't care. That's fine. But it is important to be honest about that. The other side of it is I certainly seen the other part of it where the person noticed they have these attractions and they kind of ready to explore it more with another person or kind of being more engaged with those. When do you think is a good time to share that with our partners? So for example, if you're married or if you're in a long-term relationship, that this is something you're considering, do you recommend people to do it after they realize and they, they're, they're sure that this is something they want to do? Or, I mean, obviously, this is such a personal and individualized question, but I'm kind of curious, what would you think as far as like one of the better way of doing it? I'm a really big fan of pre people bringing their whole selves to a relationship. So I would say if you're in a relationship, you can bring that up whenever you notice it. And it doesn't have to be, hi, heterosexual partner. I'm noticing that I'm attracted to this person on the sidewalk and therefore now I'm going to go sleep with them. It can just be, oh, hey, like I find that person attractive. Do you find that person attractive? What do you think? It doesn't have to be such a big, like, let's sit down and have this very serious conversation about who we're attracted to. It can be a fun and light part of your relationship. But if you feel like you're hiding part of yourself, that's where I think relationships get into trouble. So it doesn't mean that you have to be, quote unquote, sure. And I'm not really even sure what that means. Like, how can you be sure about an evolving sexuality? If you're noticing it, then it's true, period. It doesn't have to mean that you go on to identify as 
bisexual or heteroflexible. But if you're noticing that you're attracted to somebody, then it's true that you're attracted to that somebody, that person. And you can be kind of sure about that piece of information. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think it's what a cleaner and more honorable way of doing it. For example, if you are in a monogamous relationship with your partner, if this is something that you want to kind of act on it, it's helpful to possibly talk about it with your partner. So kind of having this conversation about this is what I'm thinking, perhaps opening up the relationship or any other thing. So it wouldn't feel, you can possibly prevent the feeling of betrayal because I think it's devastating if someone kind of figured out and they've been in the dark all these years. Exactly. And I think you nailed it right there is how do you imagine that your partner might feel if one day, 10 years down the line, you say, oh yeah, I've been attracted to this entire group of people the entire time we've been together and I haven't said anything about it. Right. And the feeling of being lied to at times, at least what that's what I see in my practice, that's added pain than kind of losing a partner. Exactly. There's nothing about being attracted to somebody else that means that you can't be in a monogamous relationship if that is the relationship structure that works for you. Even if you're completely heterosexual, you're going to be attracted to other people than your partner throughout your life because you're a human being. I find that very ironic when my clients, like one of the partner gets like very shocked (laughs) when they realize the partner is a human being and they have sexuality and they find like people in the movies attractive or when they make comment about someone passing in the street, I mean, obviously in a respectful way to the partner, but it's interesting that people think the moment that they enter the monogamous relationship, the partner's sexuality and attraction to other people disappear. Yes, exactly. So uh, we're toward the end of our time. And I know that you have this wonderful specialty that's very unique and you've done tons of kind of advanced training on, on those. So tell us if our listeners want to get a hold of you, want to learn more about your content, what would be the best way? So I am Practical Audacity on all the things. So if you Google Practical Audacity, uh, you can find me. My website is practicalaudacity.com. I am at Practical Audacity on Instagram and Facebook. So there's lots of ways that you can find me. Check out my practice, which is also named Practical Audacity. So it's pretty easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, guys, if you didn't get a chance to write it, it's going to be in show notes. Ray, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're very grateful that you came and you shared your expertise with us. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dre. After the call, I was sharing with her how grateful I was that she was able to come on the show and share her expertise with us. And also, I was talking to her about my discomfort of kind of acknowledging that this is the area that I require more learning and experience because I feel it is ever evolving and we're coming up with more knowledge about these areas. And also, we're going to redefine the language and it's a kind of vulnerable place to be because I'm constantly preoccupied. Am I saying they're using the right pronoun? Am I saying the right 
kind of vocabulary. And I, I was very grateful that Ray shared her expertise in this area with us. And I think it's important to have this kind of conversation from people who are not necessarily more of an expert in the field in these areas and people who are learning about this, because I think through this dialogue is where we can develop more understanding of each other's perspective. Anyhow, I hope you found this episode helpful. If you get a moment, please, please, please leave us an honest review in iTunes. It will help us to be found by more people. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.